the headlines tonight. Gun-packed Taliban storm swanky Kabul hotel. Germany's prank prison relocation of 1.8 million refugees. And Obama takes over from White House Hussein in historic moment. Plus, coming up, a shocking exclusive. An inside look at the training camp for knights in white satin. Those are the headlines. Now, time for the news. News Bang. Taking the truthiness out of truth one grok at a time. 2018. Breaking news just in. The Taliban have struck again, this time at the Intercontinental Hotel in Kabul. The 12-hour siege has left at least 21 people dead and many more shaken but not stirred. Eyewitnesses described how the gunmen, dressed as bellboys, checked in with their AK-47s and immediately started a full-scale renovation of the lobby. One guest, Lionel Salamander from DIS, was in the middle of a game of strip poker when all hell broke loose. I was about to show my hand when I heard machine gun fire, he recalled. I thought it was part of the game until I saw my cards were covered in someone else's fold. The Taliban, known for their hospitality skills since 1996, are yet to be tipped for their latest venture. Critics say they're good with explosives but lack table manners. The Intercontinental Hotel Kabul, once a haven for foreigners since 1969, now resembles a war zone, which is ironic considering its location. The Afghan capital reels from this latest attack as world leaders unite to condemn the group's actions, except for one leader who wishes to remain Putin. 1945. 1945 and the war that had raged for six long years was finally drawing to a close. The Axis powers, realizing they'd backed the wrong horse, were about to receive their P-45s. In East Prussia, 1.8 million people decided it was time to schnell, schnell, themselves out of there as the Red Army advanced like an angry babushke with a rolling pin. Initially, the evacuation was as orderly as a German train timetable, but it soon descended into chaos. Civilians fled in their droves onto overcrowded trains bound for who knows where. One eyewitness, Helga von Wurstheimer, recalled, It vos like were all in one big sauerkraut, squeezed in and heading for the big pickle. Konigsberg, or King's Mountain in English, ironic considering its new tenants, fell to the Soviets after a two-month siege. As for East Prussia, well, she too became part of history, or rather Russian history books under her new name, Kaliningrad Oblast Gone Bad. 2009. History was made today as Barack Obama, a man who once met a black person, became the first African-American president of the United States. The inauguration, which means a fancy do, set records for attendance and marked the beginning of Obama's first term as president. The ceremony was steeped in tradition, dating back to 1789, when George Washington swore on a copy of Fifty Shades of Slavery that he would uphold the Constitution, apart from the bits about owning people. The event was marred only by a brief security scare when an eagle tried to snatch Aretha Franklin's hat, but it was quickly apprehended and released without charge. In his inspiring speech, Obama said, Yes, we can. Well, I've got four years to find out. News Bang. 
cutting through the miasma of misinformation with a sword of fact. For the latest weather update, here's Shakanaka Giles. For tomorrow, January 21st, 2024, let's start in the southeast. Expect a crisp morning with a gentle frosting, like sugar-dusted pastries left out for the birds. By midday, it'll be a brisk 7 degrees, perfect for bracing walks along the coast. In the Midlands, there'll be scattered clouds and a gentle breeze. It's as if the weather has been reading Jane Austen novels and decided to emulate the British countryside. Now, to the north of England and Scotland, things are looking up. The sun will shine brightly from early morning until late afternoon. It's like Mother Nature herself is giving you a warm hug. In summary then, frosty mornings, Austin-esque afternoons and bright sunny hugs. Stay warm and that's all the weather. Nineteen ninety. The Soviet Red Army has been accused of brutally suppressing pro-independence demonstrations in Baku, Azerbaijan SSR. The Red Army, initially established in 1918 to counter the White Army during the Russian Civil War, later became the Soviet Army in 1946 and eventually transformed into the Russian Army in 1992. The tragic incident, now known as Black January, took place in Baku, the capital and largest city of Azerbaijan. This event marked a significant moment in Azerbaijani history as it struggled for independence from the Soviet Union. To shed more light on this unfolding situation, we now turn to our correspondent, Brian Bastable. Darkness. That's the first thing I notice as I step out of my bunker this evening, for here in Baku, the fighting never stops. This is a city that knows only war. For here at 19.30 local time, the Red Army has launched an all-out assault on Azerbaijani nationalism. I saw a soldier just now with a flamethrower roasting pigeons from a nearby roof for his supper while his comrades are shooting protesters in the street below him like clay pigeons from some ghastly fairground sideshow. There is no law and order here tonight in Baku. The people who live on these streets know nothing but pain and loss, and now they have lost their loved ones too, shot dead by men whose job it is to protect them. The air smells of cordite and smoke as another protester falls to her death from an upper window into what was once her home, but now serves as target practice for Russian troops who have long since lost any semblance of humanity or compassion for their fellow man, woman, child, whatever. We are all targets here tonight in this war zone known as Baku, where there can be no hope until morning comes again to drive away the darkness that hangs over us like thick fog rolling across this wretched landscape like hell itself opened up beneath our feet to swallow us whole into its black maw. Never more again see daylight shine upon our faces once more, nor hear laughter echo through deserted streets. 
full only with ghosts haunting every corner, screaming at us until our dying breath, when finally we join them forever entwined together amidst the ruins which we call home. Brian Bastable, Newsbang. 2018. The Intercontinental Hotel in Kabul, Afghanistan, has become the epicenter of a brutal 12-hour battle that has tragically claimed at least 21 lives. The Taliban, an unrecognized militant organization notorious for its disregard for human rights, has claimed responsibility for this heinous attack. The Intercontinental Hotel Kabul, a popular choice for foreigners since its inception in 1969, now stands as a stark reminder of the volatile climate that pervades this region. Kabul, the capital and economic hub of Afghanistan, continues to grapple with the harsh realities of conflict and strife. And now we go live to Ken Shit, who is on the ground in Kabul. As the world spins on its axis of chaos, we find ourselves once again at the precipice of terror, teetering on the brink of brutality. It's a new year, but the same old story of senseless slaughter continues to unfold. The year is 2018. A group of Taliban gunmen, like a pack of rabid wolves, descended upon the Intercontinental Hotel in Kabul, Afghanistan. They transformed the once grand hotel into a blood-soaked battleground, where the cries of the innocent echoed through the halls for hours on end. The Taliban, a militant organization that makes ISIS look like a bunch of pansy-assed pussycats, ruled Afghanistan with an iron fist from 1996 to 2001. They're currently in control of the entire country, turning it into a real-life version of the movie Mad Max. The Taliban government is not recognized by any country, but let's be honest here, folks. If they were to apply for a franchise of McDonald's, they'd probably get approved before you could say, supersize me. The Intercontinental Hotel Kabul is a five-star hotel that has been a popular choice for foreigners since its opening in 1969. It's like the Taj Mahal of Afghanistan, except instead of being a monument to love, it's become a monument to hate. Kabul is the capital and largest city of Afghanistan, serving as the country's political, cultural and economic center. But let's not forget that it's also the place where dreams go to die and where hope goes to get gang raped by reality. This is Ken Shit, reminding you that no matter how dark things get, there will always be light shining through. Just not in Kabul, apparently. In a tale that has all the makings of a Nordic noir novel, Iceland's banking collapse has left the nation reeling. Protests have engulfed Reykjavik since 2008, with citizens airing their grievances against the outing Iceland's parliament. Established in 930, this unicameral legislature was stripped of its power after Iceland's union with Norway in 1262, but was restored in 1903. Now, as Iceland grapples with the largest financial crisis in economic history, the Althing finds itself at the epicentre of political unrest. Our correspondent Hardeman Pesto is on the scene to provide further insight into this unfolding saga. Martin, I'm standing outside Iceland's historic parliament building, the Althing, which dates back to the 10th century. As you can see behind me, there are thousands of angry protesters gathered here tonight, calling for the government to resign over the financial crisis which has crippled this tiny nation. So Pesto, what exactly are they protesting about? This all seems rather confusing. 
Well, Martin, as you know, Iceland's entire economy has collapsed after its hugely overleveraged banks went bust last year. Ordinary Icelanders are absolutely furious that a small elite has caused national bankruptcy while enriching themselves. But why are they all gathered outside this old building? Can't they go and protest outside the banks instead? Ah, no. You see, the odd thing is Iceland's parliament, where the decisions that led to this crisis were actually taken. The angry crowds want the entire government to step down and call new elections. I see. So they have come down to give their elected representatives a jolly good scolding then? A bit more than that, I'm afraid, Martin. As you can see, some protesters are throwing eggs, tomatoes and shoes at the windows, and they are chanting very rude slogans about the Prime Minister's ancestry and personal habits. Goodness me, that all sounds very uncivilised, Pesto. Haven't the police cracked down on this unruly rabble? Well, no, actually. The protests have overwhelming public support, and there have been no arrests so far, which is quite amazing when you consider the level of anger here. Still, our viewers expect our reporters to maintain high standards of decorum. I sincerely hope you haven't been adding to this vulgar cacophony pesto. Of course not, Martin. I've been a strictly neutral observer, although I did lob a fish head earlier when the cameras were off me. Back to you, Martin. Pesto, please keep it professional. Hardeman Pesto, there. News bang, a spade is a spade, and truth is the only tool. Ryder Boff reporting on the historic victory of the Houston Cougars over the UCLA Bruins in 1968, famously known as the Game of the Century. This game marked a turning point for college basketball, making it prime-time entertainment. The year is 1968, and what a time to be alive. The Houston Cougars have just clawed their way into the annals of history with a victory over the UCLA Bruins in what's been dubbed the Game of the Century. It was a basketball ballet, my friends, where every pass was a pirouette and every dunk an arabesque. This wasn't just any old game. This was college basketball stepping out onto the dance floor in its finest tuxedo. And there it is. The Houston Cougars have done it. They've upset the UCLA Bruins in a whirlwind of hoops and hardwood. Elvin Hayes, that towering titan of tenacity, has led his team to victory with 39 points scored. That's more than I've had hot dinners this week. This historic NCAA game has done more for modern television coverage than any fancy pants director with a camera. We're talking about college basketball being transformed from a mere sideshow to primetime entertainment, as sought after as Aunt Mabel's secret gin at Christmas. Now let me tell you about my own brush with sporting greatness back in 68. I was but a young lad then, knee-high to a grasshopper and twice as jumpy. I once tried my hand at basketball during school recess, ended up launching the ball straight into old man Thompson's garden next door. Never saw that ball again, so old man Thompson for that matter. But back to our victors. The Houston Cougars' success on this day has been nothing short of miraculous, like David slinging his stone square between Goliath's eyes. If David were wearing sneakers and Goliath had just missed his free throw. As for UCLA, well, they may have lost today, but fear not, Bruin fans. Your team will go on to win 11 NCAA titles. That's enough silverware to make even Buckingham Palace blush. So remember, folks, when you're watching those lads dribble down the court on your television sets tonight, you're witnessing history made faster than Uncle Bertie can down his pint at last orders. 
And if anyone asks why you love college basketball so much, just tell them Ryder Boff sent you right after he retrieved his ball from next door. We turn our attention to the spirited realm of transportation, as Polybeep masterfully guides us through the tumultuous traffic conditions and other fascinating developments on the tarmac. Buckle up for an exhilarating ride! We're flipping the clocks back to 92, that groovy year when your Walkman was your best mate and the Spice Girls were yet to be a whisper in your granny's ear. Fasten your seatbelts, for we're about to dive into the wild world of traffic updates. Our top story today comes from way up high. Air Interflight 148, heading from Lyon-Satolis Airport to Strasbourg Airport, has crashed into the Vosges Mountains. A spectacular sight it must have been, like a scene straight out of an action flick. On the ground now, where we've got our hands full with quite the quagmire. The road leading to Strasbourg Airport is as tangled as an old lady's hairbrush after a night at the local boozer. Drivers buckle up and prepare for some snail speed manoeuvring. And just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, the Vosges Mountains themselves are getting in on the act. These low mountain rascals have decided to take things to a whole new level by causing havoc on several major routes. So if you're planning on driving through these magnificent peaks today, I suggest you pack a few extra sandwiches for delay sustenance. But hey, there's always light at the end of this twisted tunnel. See you next time when I'll be turning more traffic and travel tricks. No news bang, cutting through the chatter of cliché. And now, here's Sandy O'Shaughnessy to take you on a delightful journey through the annals of history, regaling tales of kings and emperors. Nice and easy. Uh, a very good evening to you all. Welcome, welcome, and welcome once again to the Grand Palace of Newsbang Radio. I am your old mate, Sandy O'Shaughnessy, taking you on another delightful journey through the annals of history. The sun may be setting over the rolling hills of Ireland, but our spirits are high as we delve into tales of kings and emperors. So grab a cuppa, sit back, and let's get started. Ah. <laughs> Just so, uh... Now... We slip back in time to the year 1843. Honorio Hermeto Carnero Leao, Marquis of Parana. Now that's a name that rolls off the tongue like warm honey. He was quite the man about town in Brazil during his time as Prime Minister. A politician, diplomat, judge. Oh my. It seems he had his fingers in every pie imaginable. Ah. <laughs> And let's not forget his monarchist leanings, a true believer in the power of royalty. Brazil was quite the empire back then, modern-day Brazil and Uruguay all under one rule. Now that's what I call a regal real estate deal. Ah. <laughs> but let's not stay too long in this tropical paradise. We must hop across the pond and visit our friends in Scotland during the year 1356. Ah yes, Edward Balliol a claimant to the Scottish throne if ever there was one. But fate had other plans for him. He decided to throw in the towel and exchange his claim for an English pension instead. What a fascinating turn of events. It seems even royalty can have its fill of politics. 
and decide it's time for a change of scenery or income source. <laughs> and speaking of politics and income sources, I received an intriguing letter from Seamus O'Reilly in Dingle today. He writes, Dear Sandy, I have discovered that my great-great-grandfather was once engaged to Queen Victoria herself. Imagine that. Well, Seamus, if that's true, and only time will tell, then your family tree is quite literally fit for a queen. Huh? <laughs> you see, dear listeners, history is full of surprises, both big and small, just waiting to be uncovered by curious minds like ours. So keep those letters coming to my desk here at Newsbang Radio Towers. Who knows what hidden gems they might contain? Huh? <laughs> Until we meet again on this enchanting historical journey. Remember, life is but a tapestry, woven with threads both grand and humble. So cherish every moment and embrace every story along the way. As always, see you later, alligator, in a wild crocodile. Sandy O'Shaughnessy, signing off. In a tale as old as time, or at least as old as 1156, Lally, an enigmatic figure from Finnish law, dispatched Bishop Henry on the icy waters of Lake Koilionjavi. The bishop, a man of the cloth who traversed the seas from England to Sweden in 1153, met his end in Finland. Fast forward to 2016 and Koilio, once a municipality unto itself, became one with Sakula. And we've been hearing about this ancient Finnish ice caper. For more on the story, let's turn to our business correspondent, Perkins Stornaway. Lally, Occasional Ice. In 1156, a gripping story unfolded. Lake Koilianjavi, moderate. The feisty Finnish fable of Lally versus Bishop Henry in a chilling ice battle. Koilio, south, veering southwest, occasional rock. Finland's financial markets watched in horror as the battle continued. The bishop, down a leg. The RSI rose sharply to 21,436, although it's now sloping to a rock. The lally dog had a bit more. The competition. Biscay, occasionally rough. A financial expert claimed this was the worst clash since dogger, good, occasionally poor. Hebrides, east, backing southwest, three or four. Even the waters became tense. The value of shares in the Lally toy brand plummeted 618 million points. Fastnet, good, occasionally poor. Trafalgar, south, backing southwest, four or five. The church has been quick to condemn Lally's actions, describing them as reckless and unprovoked. Lundy, rain later. Humber, southwest, veering southwest three or four. For some reason, sweaty old fart toy stocks surged, closing 1.21 up. The Viking, slight or moderate. Chromaty, fog patches. Trading floors were rocked by the brutal events of the day. Fastnet, good, occasionally poor. Despite it all, an anonymous source has whispered that Lally is already plotting a rematch. Thames Fair, occasionally moderate. The shocking event echoed across the globe. 
Rockall occasionally rough. In summary, Lally, an occasional ice killer, fought a fierce battle with Bishop Henry on the Lake Coilianjavi in 1156. In a shocking twist, the Lally toy brand shares plummeted, but somehow the sweaty old fart brand emerged stronger. News bang, squeezing the truth from the juice of life. And it's time for a brief look at tomorrow's headlines. The Guardian. B-52 Bombardier. Hits Thule ice with radioactive erection. There's a rather splendid aerial photograph there of absolutely nothing. The Express. Mighty armed Kesan gets some sanctity sprinkled on it. And the Mirror choose to go with Posh Concorde speed plane finally flies. But no airport is waving goodbye. Today, print page 2 comments from readers about the small earthquake in New York last night. Apparently, according to Edna Watkins, it made her cab more bumpy than ever. That's all from us this evening, so goodbye and sweet dreams. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.